This podcast is sponsored by Uncana, trusted natural solutions. Uncana is a leading voice of advocacy for CBD in the veteran LEO and federal communities. Veteran owned and operated, the Uncana team is actively fighting for DOD access to CBD with political pressure, community support, and a simple message. Hashtag OpNatural. Uncana is vertically integrated with industry leaders from seed to sell, supplying premium small batch products to America's best. Use code MENTORS4MIL the number four, M-I-L, at checkout at uncana.com to receive your amazing discount. Read the Mentors for Military disclaimer at mentorsformilitary.com slash disclaimer. Thanks again to everyone supporting us on the podcast through Patreon. Patreon allows our listeners an opportunity to contribute to the podcast and allow us to bring you great guests and content each week. Thank you to all of our patrons and a special shout out to Jonathan Lambert for being our largest donor. You too can become a patron by visiting patreon.com slash mentors, the number four M-I-L. This is the Mentors for Military podcast. Before I bring on Jamie, our guest for this week, I wanted to talk a little bit about Veteran Owned US. That's VeteranOwnedUS.com, a new veteran-owned business directory out there that we've created. We put this thing together so that we can help people find veteran-owned businesses, not only in their area, but also just through any type of online business. So if you're looking to buy a veteran, help out a small business, go to VeteranOwnedUS.com. So, Jamie, where, where is it that you actually came into the military from? So I came in originally with a Ranger contract, uh, came into the Army. Of course, like most guys, I think around that time, and this was early 90s, um, I wanted a infantry unassigned Ranger contract. Option you know, four. That's what I went in. Yeah. Yeah. I said, hey, I want to be an infantry guy. And, you know, I want to, I want Ranger on my contract. Uh, of course, when you get there, you know, you're pretty much signed in, ready to go. And yeah, that's not available. And I, you know, I scored pretty well on my, you know, on all my ASVAB stuff. So yeah. I, I don't know if the guy was trying to sway me to something a little more technical or what, but he offered up a, uh, communications job. So it was a 31 Charlie single channel radio operator that had a Ranger contract with it. And, uh, I literally... <laughs> was like, uh, what is that? I had no clue what it was, no clue what I was signing up for. And I asked the guy, I'm like, can I make a phone call? And he's like, uh, yeah, sure, I guess. So I left the room, got on a you know pay phone, the early 90s, and called my brother-in-law, who had spent time in Ranger Battalion. He's kind of the one that set me on my path. Mm-hmm. And um, I was like, hey, dude, what is this? You know, I was like, they said they don't have this infantry on a signed Ranger you know, what is this, you know, single channel radio operator? He goes, take it. He's like, you'll actually learn a skill that you could do something with afterwards. He's like, take it. You're good to go. I'm like, okay. So I walk <laughs> back in and like, yep, I'll take it. I want it. Um, so yeah, that was, that was kind of the start of it. I had no clue what I was getting into, but I knew I, you know, had the Ranger option at least. Yeah. So, uh, that was, that was the start of it, but came in with that, went through, uh, basic at Fort Jackson then I uh, went through 13 weeks of AIT, learning how to type and learning these radios and rat rigs, like these things on the back of trucks. I mean, we're talking big army stuff. Oh, yeah. That I was like, what am I getting into, you know? 
Um, but yeah, went through all that and then went to airborne school, went to, at the time it was RIP, Ranger Indoctrination Program, made it through there and uh, ended up at 175, uh, First Ranger Battalion in Savannah, Georgia. And that's where I stayed for about seven years. That was the uh, good life, right? Wasn't it? Because I mean, 175, oh. at 175, everybody talks about, you know, just the location of nothing else. Oh, Savannah's beautiful. It's yeah. absolutely beautiful there. Yeah, I loved it. Absolutely loved it. And, I mean, we had spent a lot of time in Florida training. You know, I mean, they are in Savannah. Yeah. There wasn't there wasn't many bad training trips and, you know, stuff that we did. Yeah. So it was, it was nice. It was a good location. All really pre-9-11. Yep. Yeah. So this was 93. I went in in September 93. So I was in basic when Mogadishu, when Somalia went down. Um, yeah, I was in basic. So then you could imagine getting to, you know, the 75th, getting to rip mm-hmm. where we're right there and guys are walking around. I mean, guys are in crutches and just, I mean, the guys that just got hammered, yeah. um, you know, in Somalia, I mean, we're seeing those guys and you know, the, the, the feeling of, okay, you know, what you're getting into is like, yeah, this is, I mean, this is what I want to do. This is what I signed up for. I mean, this is, you know, no joke. I mean, this is legit. These guys just got back from combat. Um, you know, it's, it's going to happen and, you know, pretty excited about it. Um, and then of course, you know, you get to got to one seven five and a bunch of guys running around with combat scrolls from Panama and still some guys from Grenada. And, uh, yeah, then we pretty much did nothing to yeah. train and train and train through the nineties. Ranger um, panties and PT. Yep. That was it. Um, but, you know, I mean, you had, and I was in ranger school when, um, uh, where was it? Haiti, when Haiti kicked off. Oh, yeah. In 94, I think it was. Um, yeah, I was in ranger school. And, of course, here I am, a ranger in ranger school from ranger battalion. Haiti kicks off, and dudes are on planes flying, and I'm like, yeah, I'm just waiting. Yep, my battalion's calling me. They're pulling me out. You know, I'm, <laughs> I'm going. I'm going to war. I ain't, ain't going to be here in ranger school. No, there were kids from like the 82nd that got pulled and other places and here really? I still sat. Oh yeah. Yeah. Because that was, I mean, it was that important in range of time to get your tab. Yeah. Um, that's true that it was. Yeah. And I, and I think some of the higher ups, you know, were pretty unsure of exactly what was going to happen, whether it was really going to be something, anything other than, uh, you know, a peacekeeping mission, you know, yeah. I, I don't think they really thought there was going to be much of it. So anybody that was in any type of school, they, they left them. It was like, nope, you stay in school, knock out your schooling. Um, I mean, guys in B-knock, A-knock, all that stuff. Yeah. Um, they kept them, they kept them to do their stuff, which was a good call, obviously, because the guys ended up doing nothing. Um, right. You know, and I would have pulled out of ranger school and then had to go back at another time. So how many 31 Charlies are there or were there at that time frame and say, you know, a, a battalion, but other than ranger regiment? Um, yeah, so there were, you got three line companies in each battalion and then the headquarters company. And I was in one of the line companies. So we had we had what we called a commo shop in each line company. Uh, and you supported that company. So we, there was, there was anywhere from two to four 31 series, whether they were 31 Charlies or 31 uniforms, mm-hmm. pretty similar MOSs. Um, we ran like the commo shop at the company level. And then each platoon gave us RTOs. So they would usually hand over like whoever a smart 11 Bravo was. A lot of times it ended up being like one of the college spec fours. 
So when these guys went to college first, got their degree, and then come in the Army, they automatically came in as E-4s. And, you know, they had education. So when they got there, a lot of times they would make them the RTO for the platoon just because they knew they were a little smarter, a little more mature. They could handle it, you know, the accountability of all the radio stuff and, and night vision and all that. Um, so, yeah, we just we worked for the commander and for the XO at the company level and then managed the platoon RTOs and trained them up and, um, you know, would talk to them on the radios during the during the different ops, um, you know, to talk to and relay from the company commander to the platoon uh, commanders. Um, but yeah, it was, I would say there was anywhere from two to four average was, you know, three or four in a shop in each company and then three companies. And then you had the headquarters element, which had two, you had what was called talk one and talk two, but it was the commander battalion commanders team of RTOs. And then the, the uh, battalion XOs team of RTOs. And that was anywhere from four to six different guys in those elements so having gone there now served with the rangers you're in amongst them as a 31 charlie did you ever feel like okay damn i wish i still could have gotten the 11 x-ray option or was it hey i'm pretty cool i'm pretty satisfied i'm getting a chance to play both roles here (laughs) oh no i was a soft skill mos support dude oh man i was like (laughs) bottom of the totem pole i got smoked so many times just because i was a soft skill yeah, you know, I was in headquarters company or, oh yeah. So I caught so much flack cause I wasn't an 11 series. Yeah. Um, once I got my tab, then it pretty much went away. Yeah. You know? I mean, once you proved yourself and got your Ranger tab, then it was like, okay, they, they accepted you, you know? Yeah. Well, that's pretty much the same way all the way across the board though, isn't it? Because, you know, even 11s, they, they take quite a bit just because they, again, they haven't proven themselves. Most of them end up leaving within the first couple of years anyway. So, you know, attrition is yeah. pretty high. It is. Yeah. Attrition is really high. Uh, just the guys that wash out from, you know, just be like, no, this is not for me. They can't yeah. take the hazing and and everything, uh, you know, to the guys that, uh, you know, just you just don't cut it. Um, you know, there's some that are great guys, and there's guys that you know get fired, and then go to other units and and are stellar. I mean, mm-hmm. they're top performers. You know, you run into them a couple years later, and they're like, yeah, man, I'm doing great now. I'm you know an NCO, and they're you know they they learned a lot when they were in regiment, and now they brought it you know to this other unit, and they're doing really good. So it's a it's a great place to be. It's a great place. I mean. I, as far as like career progression or counseling, you know, for a lot of these guys that are wanting to do something in special operations, that to me is the best starting point. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've, you know, via Instagram, I get messages all the time from these kids in high school that, you know, are like, man, what you did was awesome. I, you know, I want to do your same career path. You know, do you recommend I go SF or Ranger first or, you know, what do I do? And, and I'm like, go Ranger. You know, it's, it's, you're going to be amongst more your peers, you know, it's, it starts off with that younger crowd. I mean, most of those guys that start there are 18, 19 years old. You know, they, they sign that initial contract, they get there and you'll have a good group of peers to, to hang out with, protect yourself, um, you know, and then work yourself up and, and stay with, you know, have your little group to motivate each other and get to ranger school and, you know, and, and go that route. And then once, you know, once you're successful there, you can do like I did. I mean, you can go anywhere and then you can go SF if that's what you want to do, or you could, you know, go to different special operations units that are, you know, throughout the army or, you know, even other services. There's, there's a ton of different stuff out there for you. What was the thing that called you into the special forces arena in the first place then? So was it something that you just had an opportunity to work alongside them or it was a dream that you always had? What was it? 
So my career path after Rangers yeah. or just, yeah. Yeah. So it, it was, um, yeah. What, what made me want to go to let's say the unit, um, was working with those guys, you know, whenever we do like an airfield seizure or something, when I was in Ranger regiment, um, those guys would like fly in on, on a helicopter and pick up our, you know, our PC, you know, our, our target person, you know, whatever it was they'd come in, grab him up, you know, we'd do a quick handoff and then they were gone. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was such a nostalgia of you never really saw those guys. You knew of them, you knew what they were doing. They were always off doing something really cool somewhere. Um, and it was just kind of that wow factor. Um, you didn't know much about what they did, but you knew it was really cool and it was better than what you were doing currently. Um, and, and I just got to a point after, you know, seven years in Ranger Battalion, um, I worked my way up through the company, you know, as, as company commo chief and then went to battalion and I was the, you know, I was the head, well, not the head commo guy. That's another story on kind of why I left, but, um, you know, I was working my way up and, and was the battalion commander's RTO, um, you know, was running my own talk. I was running talk one and, um, you know, it just was like, I, I kind of hit a brick wall. I mean, the guy whose job I wanted to take, who was the E7, I was an E6 promotable and there was an E7, only E7 slot for a combo guy in battalion. Um, he was getting ready to retire. And then kind of last minute he pulled his paperwork back and was like, no, I'm not going to retire. And I'm like, well, there goes the job I was going to go into, you know? So now I had to either leave battalion, which I really did not want to do. I loved being in Savannah. I love first Ranger battalion. Um, you know, I either would have to go to another battalion or go somewhere else. And, you know, at the time I'd only been in for about seven years. So I still had quite a long, you know, bit to go. Cause I knew I was going to stay in for at least 20. And, um, I'm like, man, I got to find another job. And, I had actually at a at a JRTC, so it's a it's a j big joint exercise that a lot of the soft community does together. And we were there, and as one of the senior commo guys, I had to go get some crypto. So the the new fill, the new secure info that we needed for our radios, I had to go and get it from the guys at at JSOC. And um, I ended up when I was over there talking to a few of unit commo guys, and I talked with the unit commo sergeant major. And we just kind of hit it off. And, uh, you know, I mean, I, I took my job very seriously and I learned everything about it. I knew every radio in and out. I mean, I, I never did not want to be the guy that didn't have comms, mm -hmm. you know, no matter what I knew how to field expedient, make stuff or, or do whatever it was. I, I just, I really got into learning my job and being the best I could be at it. And, uh, him and I hit it off and, and he, I don't know if he knew of me from some of the other guys or they said something to him, but he invited me to come up there and be a combo guy at the unit. And that was kind of a light bulb went off and I'm like, well, I don't have another job anywhere else or anything else I can do at 175. And so I dug out that card and I'm like, Hey, Sergeant major, you know, this is, I think I was a staff sergeant at the time, you know, and he had an E seven slot. Yeah. So they're pretty much slots that mean rank and all that doesn't, doesn't really matter. Right. Um, it's, if you're the right guy for the job, they want you. Um, so yeah, he had a job for me and he's like, yeah, we'd love to have you come up, you know, try out and you know, if it works out great. And I'm like, okay, yeah, I, you know, I really want to do it. I'd love to come up there, you know, be a combo guy. And, and before we hung up the phone, he's, he said, Hey, let me ask you one question. He said, you ever think about being an operator? And I'm like, well, yeah. I mean, you know, I've been a soft skill guy. I've got harassed so many times by 11 Bravos and all that, you know I mean? In the back of your mind, you're always like, yeah, I, I would 
like to be an 11 Bravo or I'd love to be an operator. You know what I mean? I want to be that guy, you know, yeah. doing more action stuff rather than just humping around this radio. And he said, well, do me a favor. He says, go to selection first. And he says, you know, if it doesn't work out and it's not for you or you don't make it, he's like, we'd be glad we'd grab you up in a heartbeat to be a, you know, to come and be a combo guy for us. I'm like, okay. So I went to one of the briefings, went through selection and made it. Uh, I got to go twice, but um, <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I went, we'll dive into that story a little bit, but yeah, I, I, I went the first time and um, I overtrained basically. I mean, I, I really wanted to, you know, I wanted to do good, do well, you know, the whole nine. And, um, I just overtrained. I, it was, I, I made it near the end and my knees were just done. They were shot. What part was it? So, uh, what? um, it was stress day four. Yep. Okay. That's, that's where I got, that's where I got pulled. So, um, kind of the church day and it is call it bloody Thursday. Anyway, a <laughs> lot of guys become time standards, you know, yeah. uh, at, at that point in time. So I got pulled, but you know, in my exit brief, they were like, Hey, you know, we commend you for not quitting. You know, you, you put forth a ton of effort. I mean, it, you know, they, they said, you're, you're welcome to come back. And I'm like, okay. I'm like, I want to come right back. You know, I was like, I had to heal some, some injuries. I mean, I had plantar fasciitis in both feet. My, both my knees were just done. Um, so I went back and, you know, took, took like, over a month of just doing nothing. I mean, I just recovered for a month and then just kind of slowly got right back into it and then did what I should have done, which they tell you to in the brief is just follow their train up program, you know, before you go, don't overdo it, just follow this. And there's a reason for it. Um, that's all I did is I, I just followed, you know, what the guidelines that they put out and, um, went through the second time with no issues at all. I mean, I, I smoked right through it. And I mean, I was just, I was, excited to be there ready to do it get it done because i knew that this is this is my path you know yeah. this is what i want to do yeah so i did that they made you to go through the whole selection all over again or do they let you fast forward no you had to no do <laughs> way. you start from the beginning yep exactly because uh, i have uh, heard yeah. people go you know and come back and when they come back they at least i've heard rumors that they just go hey you know the fact that you came back you know, we're going to let you start at this point. And nope. it didn't happen that to you. Does, okay. That does not happen. It that doesn't happen. Only, <laughs> no, it doesn't happen. Now, the only the only time or the only thing that does happen where you could skip forward is if you make it through the complete thing. Yeah. And there's just something at the board that they see. Maybe that's that what it was. To, yeah. Yeah. Then they just bring you back for like a PT test, eight, you know, 18 mile road march. And, um, and then you just go through the board again and that's it. You're, yeah. you know, then, then you're done. But yeah, that's, that's the only case. And it, and it's funny. I'm, I'm sure you've, you know, heard a bunch too, but I hear all the time different stories of, of guys that have been or, you know, have gone and didn't make it and come back. And, you know, they tell all their buddies, well, you know, this is what happened. And you're, from being there, going through it twice, and then working it multiple times, um, yeah, you're just like mm, throwing the uh, BS flag on that one. Be like, no, dude. yeah, that's not what happened. No, but yeah, you might want to ask him more details or just know that, yeah, that that's not exactly how it happened. That that doesn't happen that way. Right, but, right. Yeah, somebody's got to, and nobody wants to come back, you know, and say, hey, look, I just wasn't the right guy. 
you know, I blew it in the board or they told me, nope, never do not come back. You're not who we're looking for. Nobody ever wants to repeat that when they get back anyway. So no, I I didn't make it. I medically out or I did this, but they told me, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's just funny, some of the stories. So was the sergeant major waiting on you then when you came out the other end? Is it one of these things where he called you? or yeah. how, did, how did that end up? He did, yeah. really? Okay. Yes, yeah, so, well, he was there. Um, he was there at the board. But, um, yeah, af- afterwards, I mean, I-, I told him at the board that, yeah, I'm, I'm coming back. So it wasn't even, you know, in the back of my mind, it was like, yeah, if, you know, if I don't make it for some reason the next time, you know, then, yeah, I'll, I'll think about doing the, you know, the combo job. But I, I knew in the back of my mind, I'm like, no, I, this is this is me. This is what I want to do. Yeah. I mean, I, I absolutely loved it. Yeah. yeah. So I was I was fortunate. You know, I got to go back. Um, I went right back, you know, six months later to the next class and, you know, smoked it, went right through. And then, um, yeah, I was I was excited. I was I was ready to I was ready to get there and, and get to work. This is at the point where you spent probably the rest of your career, um, I take it then. Um, and and I think you separated, what was some around 2012 or something like that? Uh, 14. 14, Dece- yeah, okay. I retired December, December of 14. Okay. Yep. I, I knew it was yeah. somewhere around that time frame only because um, Rudy was saying he thought it was right before him, but I think he got out in 14 as well. So he was thinking you okay. were like a couple years of separation and uh, but it sounds like the timing was about the same time frame. Yep. So yep. I was there for right just over fourteen years. Okay. Yeah, because I got I got there just before nine eleven. I got there in two thousand. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. So I hit it, and we just hit it hard. I hit it running. <laughs> yep. Well, yeah, it was it was busy. What were some of the uh, the lessons learned that you could take away? So if, you know, somebody were listening, you know, what were some of the things that you would say that you would do or not do um, through the course of that? A course of uh, my 14 years yeah, there? Yeah, yeah. Or, or just uh, even... You know, the- or just yeah. even your military career, because, you know, right. I mean, a lot of us get a chance to reflect yeah. and we think right. about, man, you know, I think I did everything right. The only thing is I would have done blam, you know. So I'm just yeah. curious what, what that would have been for yeah. you. I mean, I, I would say the biggest thing is just there's too many guys that don't understand, I guess, everything the military has to offer. Um you know, I was fortunate. I had some mentors prior to, you know, my, my family wasn't a big military family at all. You know, my, my dad wasn't in, my dad was in law enforcement for a long, long time, retired out of there. Um, but my, my brother-in-law, you know, my sister, Mary guy who had been in Ranger battalion and, and understood all of it and was, was still act, uh, in, he was active in the guard now. Um, but he, he laid down a lot of the groundwork for me and, and was able to coach me along on, Hey, you know, this is a good career path, this route, this route, this is what the army offers you. Here's what the Navy can offer you air force. I mean, he, he knew it all. Um, and now with, you know, with the internet, there's so much you can research, but even guys that are already in, you know, the biggest thing I would say, cause I do see guys get frustrated. Like, you know, they just didn't know what they were doing. They're like, Oh, you know, I want to serve my country and they just join and they just grab whatever up. And now they're in, you know, two years, three years into their contract. And they're like, this is horrible. I hate it. You know, I'm around a bunch of slugs. There's nothing, you know, there's so much info out there on the internet, you know, books, whatever it is, you know, figure out what your niche is and, you know, reach out to somebody or go talk to somebody. I mean, there, there's ranger recruiters, there's soft recruiters. There's so many different things that you can do, but 
you know, go talk to somebody before you just throw those years away, you know, find what your niche is, research it, and then go after it, you know, because I, I mean, I hate seeing younger kids just throw that career away just because they get frustrated, you know, being in some regular army unit and it's, it's not what they thought it was. You know, they just don't know what's out there. Well, you and I both know that it it's all going to depend upon, well, and you too, Scott, because I'm sure it's the same way over there. You just don't always know what unit you're going to get assigned to, what kind of mentor or boss that you're going to have when you arrive there. Are they going to be good? Is it going to be a solid unit? Are they working together? Is there a lot of cohesion? Is it in a, just a crappy place and location? Because there's, there's a lot of shitty locations within the Army. Let's face it. There's not a lot of wonderful locations that you can point to. You know, we get we get some of the worst locations i think of all the military branches the air force probably gets some of the best you know the navy uh you know but when it comes to uh, the army yeah we're we're usually kind of the armpit location so don't don't view that your whole military career based on that sound bite of time you know because to your point even if you stick two years is rough three years is rough you might get a next assignment that might turn out to be the best assignment you ever had could have been because of the mm-hmm. location change you know yep yeah definitely um scott how is it with you guys as far as like um overseas duty i mean i know for us in the army and you know air force there's a lot of different assignments in different countries um do you guys do you guys get much of that over there for your guys De- depends whether you're in conventional army or or um in the sf role really um the, the SF guys spend a lot more time um, uh, abroad, obviously. Um, conventional Army, you, you can get caught in a, a loop, you know, and you, depending on where you're stationed, you can spend a lot of time in the UK doing mm. shit, you know. And like Robert said, it, it, people just think that the position they're in at the time is what dictates their military career. And they think, I'm just going to spend the next... 18 years, 15 years, whatever it is, doing the same rubbish every day. But that's that's not the case, you know, and things can happen. You can rotate through and get a post in or the next conflict comes up. And, you know, like we started the conversation saying you, you went, when you came out of um, ranger school, there was nothing going on at the time. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden you, you, you pass election and, you hit the ground running for the next 14 years non-stop probably you know yeah. wishing the op tempo wasn't so high sometimes and getting a chance to have a break and that it all changes in the blink of an eye doesn't it and, oh it does you know, yeah big time i think yep. what what you were saying about find out what the military's got to offer you is 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 a, a really important thing and people have got to put that effort in themselves because each person's individual and what they're interested in and what they would like to do might be different to someone else. So you can't just rely on somebody telling you this thing is really good. You should go and do that. Um, right. So you, you, you've got to go and find out for yourself what interests you and what you want to do, I guess. Yep. Yeah, exactly. I think that's very well put. I mean, it's don't, don't get caught in, some position you don't like. I mean, there's, there's so many opportunities out there that just go find the next job, the next opportunity that, you know, you're going to find something that you like, that's your niche. And, you know, 20 years is, is nothing. Um, yeah. You know, to sit back and, you know, look at it now. Um, I mean, it was a drop in the hat, you know, and now I'm 
I've got a retirement check coming in every month and, you know, some disability. So it's, it's, you know, it's nice. I'm still young. I can go do whatever else it is I want to do after. So let's talk about that because a lot of guys end up, you know, we've talked about this at times on the show that, you know, you end up going into jobs where you're most comfortable with. So you end up going into contract roles and stuff as soon as you get out. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I know what you do, and we'll talk about that, in a, you know, in a minute. We can bring it up now as far as, you know, a living and, and what your passion is and stuff. But how was that transition for you coming off especially so much time in the soft community? It sucked. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Yeah, it's it's tough because – you know, in that community, you're so tight with everyone, you know, you're, I mean, your brothers, you know, I mean, I did 14 combat deployments. So I spent a lot of time, you know, living in the same room with four or five other dudes, you know, we were very tight on a team together, did everything together. Um, you know, and then when you separate from that, it's, it's not just, you know, you, you lose that you don't totally lose that brotherhood as long as you stay in the area. Um, but you do, you have to find, you have to figure out before you get out, what are you going to do? You know, not just, nope, I'm getting out at 20 and I'm figure it out after I get out. I'm going to grow my hair out and, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to eat whatever I want. You know, I mean, everybody says that, but you have to have a plan. Uh, and it's gotten a lot better. I mean, it's gotten better since I got out. Um, the, you know, the different services have tons of different programs for you to help you, transition out to get you a resume bill, you know, to find you jobs for you to go to workshops. I mean, they'll even let you, which a buddy of mine is, is doing it now. He's doing like a apprentice program. So six months out from the day he actually walks out of the military, they cut him free because he's got an apprenticeship lined up. So what? he's working with, yeah, he's working with another company. You know, he can't get paid, but he is there. That's his, that's his duty. That's his yeah. job for the last six months, which is awesome yeah so he's actually learning what this job would be and he can make a decision you know a month two months into it and go nope this ain't for me and then go grab a different one right you know so he can he's got time to try out different things um but you know that i mean the biggest thing i would say to guys getting out is you know don't be scared when it's your time it's your time you know it if if you don't have anything lined up in the army or you know whatever service you're in is fine then just stay there you know, um, you know, for me, it was time I, I knew I was I was done. Um, I mean, I just had been running, like you said, you know, been running hard since 9-11 and had not stopped. And I was done, um, you know, 14 deployments pretty much back to back to back to back. Some of them with only six months of a break between them. Um, I mean, I, yeah, I just, I was ready to just get out, do something else. And so you didn't do, con- you didn't do contract work or anything in? no. Nope. None of it. Yeah. I I tell you, so my retirement plan, um, I, I mean, I bass fish, I I fished my whole life. Well, I started bass fishing when I was at one seven five in Savannah. That's really where I started bass fishing. And, um, then I started competing. I joined a couple bass clubs and was doing tournaments and I saw this whole other like world and, and like market. I mean, this was, this was like a job guys were making a living bass fishing. Yeah. So as the years went on, I continued to do it, continued to do it. Um, when I got to the unit, I, I had sold my boat cause I knew I'm like, Hey, I'm going to be busy, you know, working and training and I'm not going to have time to fish. And, um, that was kind of total opposite. I got there and a ton of those guys all fished and hunt, you know, I was gonna I mean, say, they're, they're out. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Just like, it was like, you, you know, every one of us. Um, so I picked it right back up and then 
just started continuing to compete and compete at, you know, moving up the ranks, you know, as I was still in and deploying, just fishing as much as I could and learning as much as I could. And then I, I kind of saw probably, it was about 2006, 2007, I, I, I said, you know what, this is my retirement plan. This is what I'm going to do is I'm, I'm going to get out and I'm going to go full time and fish. So good for you. Seven or eight years out, you realized, okay, yeah, this is going to be my passion. I've already found it. Now that I know that I can make a living do it, doing it. And I've been doing it for a period of time. I know I can make a smoother transition, right? I mean, it doesn't matter what we're talking about and describing here. doesn't necessarily have to be just fishing. If you can figure out your passion early enough, it makes that transition so much easier. Oh, it does big time. Yeah, because you have a goal, and, you, yeah. and you, while you're in, you can work on it while you're in, while you're getting that paycheck. There's a very, you know, there's low stress on you, so you just start building those blocks to what you're going to do. I mean, there's plenty of guys that are in right now that own their own businesses and mm-hmm. you know do things on the side. Whether well, it's just a hobby, you know, you love to woodwork. Yep. Why don't you know you could start your own little small business on you know making furniture and selling it. Yeah. I why mean, not? Most. Of the, yeah, there's a lot of guys in the military that get into woodworking. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, one, it's it's great, relaxing. You know, you got to go off in your garage with your tools and, you know, whittle something away. And it's, you know, it's, it's peaceful. It's your, you know, your little zen, your your time away. You know, that's what fishing was for me. It was, you know, it was, it was my time to just dump everything that was going on in my mind and just get out on the lake, get out in nature and, and just enjoy it. Now, for seven um, years, you had the opportunity as well to to begin networking within that field, begin, you know, building rapports with sponsors, all of those types of things. Yeah. yeah I, and that's about when I started was 2000, 2006, 2007. Um, I mean, one of the first, you know, companies I started working with was Bass Cat Boats and I'm still sponsored by Bass Cat Boats. Uh, great relationship with the owner. I mean, it, yeah, it's a, a lot of the companies I started with, I'm still with. Yeah. Um, you know, just started out years ago and built great relationships with them. And yeah, it, it's been, it's been great. I'm, I'm enjoying it. Yeah. So. And so it's really good that you found that, that passion, but what would you say to individuals that are trying to figure that out? Because I think that is one of the, there's two things that we just kind of touched on them that are difficult through the transition. One is finding some kind of way to um, maybe build that camaraderie again, that teamwork, uh, being surrounded by like-minded people, you know, your tribe, as some people like to describe it. And then secondly, is finding your your purpose or your passion and the things that you enjoy doing and trying to combine that and make that a living. So, right. you know, what, what would, it's, yeah. I, I would say, and exactly like you said, you know, it breaks down into two different ways. I mean, if, if you have that passion, you can either just keep it as a hobby and that's what you do in your spare time for your relaxing and, and whatever, because that's what you enjoy. Or if it's something that you think you could make a living at, you know, then, and there's a lot of them out there that you can, you know, then start researching it and figuring it out. You know, for me, the fishing, I mean, there's guys, you can make a living hunting, you know, whether you start, you know, social media with YouTube, I mean, you can start your own hunting show, you know, start making money off of YouTube. There, there's so many opportunities out there now. So there's that avenue of, you know, find whatever your passion is that you just truly enjoy and see if you can make a living at that. If you want to just keep that as your hobby and, and your passion, because that's just something you just enjoy doing. You don't want to make it work, which I totally get that. Um, you know, then other people think about, well, what else do I want to do? And, and I think that even breaks up into different categories. 
you know, some guys just caught, get caught up in the dollar sign. They're like, I don't care what I do. I just yes. want to make bank. You know, I'm, yep. I'm going to work and I'm going to contract and just work for five years straight and be deployed for five years and mm. bank every bit of it, you know, and, and yep. make, you know, $200,000 a year. And Hey, if, if you can still do that after you get out mentally, props to you, you know, knock it out and get it done. I don't know what your quality of life's going to be after that. Cause you're going to be mentally done and spent. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. You know, but just so, so there's that of, you know, people looking at it money wise, there's people that would just want the camaraderie. Uh, so they look at getting back into some type of contract work or working back with other retired guys. Um, you know, and then there's, there's guys that are just like, Hey, you know, a good, a really good buddy of mine, guy that was in the unit with me. Um, he's like a, uh, what is he? He's, he's like a mechanic for like escalators and stuff. I mean, just something totally off the wall that you're Good like, for him. You're gonna go do, yeah, you're going to do what? But he's like, yeah, man, is a great opportunity. He goes, it's back where I grew up. My wife's from that area. We have lots of family. And he goes, you know, and it's, it's regular old labor and you know, it's what people need right now. Cause nobody's doing it. Everybody right. wants to be computers and everything else. So he's i mean he's making good money really good money yeah that's wicked so cool though because i mean yeah you you think about you know somebody that i think i don't know when you, you think about guys who have spent so much time especially within the soft community doing so many you know uh deployments spending time away from families they may have tbi they may have even have post-traumatic stress right. And, you know, they're looking for an opportunity to connect to themselves back to their family and those types of things. Well, the easiest way to do that is to disengage yourself from those things that were with military affiliated, you know, like going to uh, be a contractor and those types of things. The money is there, definitely. But when you leave it and you find some kind of passion or purpose that takes you away from it, you might be able to find um, other ways to to find the relief. And, And again, I think that the challenge is finding that teamwork too, or even the sense of service and giving back. And so in right. your case, you know, the teamwork, you're in another, you're in a whole nother tribe now. I mean, you've got yeah. that you built for seven years, eight years along the way, you know, as well prior to yeah. getting out. Yep. Well, and since and, then, and it's, yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, there's not a lot of military guys out there that are doing it. There, there's some, um, and I love, you know, I love bumping into those guys that are out there competing, you know, bass fishing that are prior military. Um, it's a great, you know, brotherhood to hey man what's up yeah you know we get each other um but it's you know you're out there competing and you know you will make i mean i've got some great friends that are just professional anglers and every time you know we're at a you know another stop some of them i travel with so we'll rent houses together and travel and share information so now you got that teamwork you know whole concept going again but you know i mean that guys that are getting out and have been in the military they have that mindset um they they understand you know how to build a team and how to put the right people around you so they're they're going to make it happen no matter what it is that they pick or or do you know you're going to have that same that same group around you just got to find those like-minded individuals are you currently at a commission now with your arm or is it you're throwing with your left arm yeah yeah so (laughs) i'll go into this real quick and i haven't (laughs) even put anything on my social media okay I haven't announced anything with it, but yeah, I was recently at a tournament and uh day two of the tournament running down a section of the river and the river, the river gets pretty narrow in this one section and there's a turn in there and I'm running. I mean, I was running probably about 75 miles an hour, you know, my bass cat going to that section, saw it coming up, 
slowed down. I was doing probably upper fifties or so. Um, and I started into that turn. Well, when you're, when you've got the boat up on what we call pad, I mean, there's kind of a flat portion in the back of the boat is up and the keel and everything is out of the water. So when you go into the turn at a, you know, at a high speed, you're keeping that keel out, um, you know, as, as you're turning and there were some rogue waves in there from all the boats going through before us. And as I came through that turn, it just a wave that I did not see that, you know, was bouncing off the shore and just coming back through there ended up grabbing that keel. And once that keel grabbed, I was already in a turn. It, it bit, dove, and then that boat just on a dime did like a 180. Oh. And you're going that quick, you ain't staying in the boat. So I got, my co-angler and I both got thrown out of the boat. Um, I mean, I, I remember, remember it as it happened. I mean, the steering wheel just locks up and gets super tight because that boat just literally does a 180. I mean, you, you can't fight it. I sprained my wrist trying to fight the steering wheel to keep it straight. Oh, shit. It, it probably spun, didn't it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's it's like 300 pounds of force just shoo, immediately oh. on that. Um, but I smashed into the other side of the boat on my way out and then got flown probably about 50 feet. Oh, nice. Um, just skipping across the water yeah luckily i mean wearing all my gear kill switch everything so the boat just stopped right there um you know had my life vest on but i ended up um i broke my humerus up by like the knuckle right up by my shoulder dislocated my shoulder cracked a rib cracked my orbital socket under my eye um sprained this wrist um yeah that was that was pretty beat up Wow, so, man. I'm sorry to hear that. I didn't realize that. So, oh, I, <laughs> no, no bueno, man. It was no bueno. So, you didn't have to worry <laughs> about then any other boats coming down the same track behind you? or They were, oh, yeah. They were behind us, everything. Yeah. But they, I mean, they saw it happen. Okay. And everybody, a bunch of the guys, it was five or six boats immediately that stopped. Um, I mean, they had to pull me out of the water because oh, I, sure. I couldn't climb. I couldn't climb out. I couldn't use this arm at all. It was dead um because the shoulder was dislocated and the arm was broke yeah so they they pulled us out um a guy that i actually had as my co-angler on day one was a couple boats behind me he jumped on my boat and you know got the trolling motor in and kind of brought it over so the guy that pulled us out onto his boat i just i had him drop us back off on my boat i grabbed my co-angler and i and i started my boat up and then took us and you know back to the boat ramp and we got back there. I got some of my gear off and I'm like, yeah, something's not, something's wrong with this arm. I'm like, I can't, I can't lift it. You know, I don't, I don't know. So I jumped in an ambulance, went to the ER and they're like, yeah, you're jacked up. So that was it. I was done for that one. Now I'm, I'm in a sling for about three weeks. Uh, I'll go back, have x-rays done on the arm again to make sure everything's healing. Right. Um, they, the ortho didn't want to cut me. He just, he said everything is is pretty much in place. I mean, it's all just crammed. It, it's broken to a few pieces. But he said it's all sitting in a good spot. He says that, you know, it doesn't make sense for him to cut me and and plate it all where he'd put it anyway. He'd have to pull it apart, screw it, plate it, do everything to put it back together where it's at. So he's like, ah, I think you got a better chance. Let's let's ride it for a few weeks and and then we'll take some more X-rays and everything looks good. Then you're healing. If not, then now he's going to, you know, then he'd have have to cut me and probably do some pretty extensive surgery. Dude, I I would never have guessed that just looking at you. I mean, not at all. Uh, You know, I I mean, when I saw your arm in this sling, I did, you know, but not 
what you're describing there, I mean, damn, that's some gruesome stuff right there. You know, that's some serious pain. Yeah, it sucks. I'm not going to lie. I've been been sleeping on my couch, like, with pillows in an upright position because I I can't lay on my left side because my ribs cracked. I can't lay on my right side because my arm broke. Yeah, it's been – it's not been fun. Oh, my God. Well, Well, I appreciate, Jamie, you taking time, man, to to come on here and and, uh, talk about your background and everything and and sharing that with us. So um, wish you nothing but success in your recovery there as well as – yeah, your future there is in the bass fishing world. Is, and if people aren't familiar with that, how can they find your page and learn more about you and stuff? Yeah, so uh, JC Pro Angler is kind of some of my social media stuff on the fishing side. And then, of course, my one minute out. Uh, so I do tactical training also. You could just can't get rid of it. You can't get away from it as much as I tried. <laughs> um, I, do a lot of, I do a lot of night vision training, uh, a lot of stuff for mostly law enforcement and government. Um, I do run a few civilian classes, but that's one minute out. So the number one uh, minute out, uh, Instagram, different social media, and then my website, one minute out.com. Um, got a little bit of uh, swag and stuff up there, but that's where you can find all the details on my courses throughout this year. Um, but yeah, I, I appreciate it. Uh, appreciate everybody following and appreciate the, the well wishes. I really appreciate you guys having me on and uh, hopefully we can do this again for sure.